This is WMNF Tampa. True Talk is a pre-recorded show. Good morning and welcome to True Talk. This is your host Samar Jarrah, Ahmed and I. We're going to be uh, talking to Dr. Hanan Ashrawi, most prominent uh, Palestinian. Uh, and uh, she uh, is a Palestinian leader, legislator, activist, scholar who served as a member of the leadership committee uh, and official spokesperson of the Palestinian delegation to the Middle East peace process. She's the author of uh, many uh, books, articles, poems. Uh, she's uh, also also author of the book, uh, the side, uh, This Side of Peace, and I think I have read it in 1955. We are very honored, uh, Dr. Hanan, to have you on True Talk. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, Summer. It's good to talk to you. Yes, um, I've met you two times, but uh, like there were thousands of people uh, in the <laughs> States when you were there. I'm sure you're not going to remember me, but I read your book and I was very, very happy to get a signed copy. 1995, not 55. <laughs> oh, did I say 55? Oh my God. Okay. I'm, I'm very happy that you corrected that because I was not born That's yet. Right. Okay. So Dr. Hanan, uh, I know we're in, in, in uh, like we're a smile, we're laughing about our ages, but uh, women can't help that. But really it's, um, it's an interesting um, moment in the history of the struggle of the Palestinian people. Um, yesterday there was a ceasefire. Could we start with the ceasefire and uh, how did it come about because I was reading uh, several uh, articles but maybe one that uh, attracted my attention was the one by Haaretz and it said that uh, Netanyahu kind of uh, surrendered to uh, Biden. Could you tell us what went behind the scenes? I really don't think he surrendered uh, to Biden. I think he realized that he can't get anywhere by continuing this brutal onslaught on a captive people, you know, death and destruction raining from the skies and the sea and uh, the land. Uh, and I think Biden gave him a, a quite a bit of time in order to pursue these policies. Uh, Biden, um, uh, it, it's very unfortunate that they prevented even a statement from coming out from the Security Council three times, and the fourth time they uh, actually also prevented any resolution. So it's it's very unfortunate that this is happening. But uh, I think at one point, American public opinion, people within the Democratic Party, even. Uh, the the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who came out in protest in, in support of uh, Palestinian rights and condemning Israeli brutality and violence, I think that made a difference. And Biden was reportedly uh, reportedly told him that uh, if if you continue, the, I'm I'm facing opposition from my own party. Notice what happened with the 735 million dollars worth of uh, munitions and precision weaponry, so to speak, that were to be signed over in the midst of this uh, horrific uh, Israeli onslaught on the Palestinian people. And uh, the, the response from many democratic uh, congressmen and women uh, was, was quite clear and quite decisive, no. You cannot do that. You cannot embolden the aggressor. You cannot support the killing of Palestinian men, women, and children. And uh, it was uh, stopped, I guess, but uh, uh, at least for the time being, anyway. 
So the relationship between this administration and uh, uh, Netanyahu's extreme right-wing racist uh, uh, populist government is not a comfortable one, even though we know that Biden is pro-Israeli and we know that he has supported uh, Israel and its extreme uh, uh, government. And knowing that Netanyahu sort of uh, created an alliance with Trump and interfered in American politics in favor of the Republican Party and took the most and adopted the most extreme positions when it came to domestic American politics and to Trumpism. And he joined forces with people like Orban and Bolsonaro and Trump to create this, this uh, xenophobic racist system. Uh, so now uh, Biden is telling him things are changing and I hope that mm -hmm. Biden and Harris realize that things are changing. Uh, that, uh, yes, go ahead. No, the, the thing is, this is a very huge topic. I know. But the ceasefire uh, is not a ceasefire, so to speak. It's a misleading term, you know, because it's not a war. And these are not two armies fighting. This is a situation of uh, absolute asymmetry where you have occupier and occupied, where you have the strongest army in the region, fully equipped and financed by American funding and American know-how, uh, using the latest technology, including F-16s, F-35s, uh, um, helicopter gunships, uh, as well as the shelling by land using the, these new tanks and, of course, by sea. Uh, a captive population that has nowhere to go and nowhere to hide, no shelters, no uh, sirens, uh, air raid sirens, nothing. Uh, and uh, getting away with it literally by saying they are defending themselves, that the occupier and the aggressor is in a state of self-defense against uh, its own victim. Not and uh, no. unfortunately, many people believed this, not believed, but adopted this uh, distorted version and kept repeating the refrain, Israel has the right to defend itself. Against whom? What defense? It's the women and children that they killed that had no defense. It's all these uh, residential buildings, apartment buildings that were destroyed with whole families inside them. They had no self-defense. This is absolutely horrific. And in many ways, it's unconscionable that people would accept this type of language or this distorted version from people like Netanyahu and his ilk, who are known to manufacture reality and distort the narrative. Uh, Dr. Hanan Ashrawi, you're very familiar with mainstream media and their coverage. They actually started uh, the day uh, uh, the whole uh, this uh, issue started uh, earlier with uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, with uh, Sheikh Jarrah. Our media, of course, started once uh, there was uh, like a military uh, aggression from and calling it, like you said, uh, self-defense. But can we just uh, backtrack a little bit? and say to our listeners because we are not only transmitting here in America but we are on Twitter and Facebook and people are listening especially in the West and in the English language this didn't start 11 days ago or 12 days ago there was something going on in Jerusalem and Jerusalem has a very special uh, place not only in the heart of uh, uh, Palestinians but also the rest of the world could you address what was going on that we believe led to the Palestinians taking action 
<laughs> yeah, well, if you want to start at the beginning, we can go back to 1948. No, I want, no, 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 no. <laughs> I know, I'm just being facetious. Yeah. Okay, I know. When, I mean, look, it, it's a settler colonial state, and it has been acting with impunity since its creation and even before, in the sense that <clears throat> they attempted to erase the Palestinian narrative, Palestinian history, Palestinian rights, and even the very presence of Palestine. So let's go on. Well, this latest, uh, I don't want to say escalation, but onslaught began uh, actually with this deliberate uh, attack on Jerusalem. It started with uh, Israel activating a, an ethnic cleansing program targeting uh, Palestinian Jerusalem, of course. It's a city under occupation. It's not Israel's capital legally, and it's not annexed by Israel legally. It is illegally annexed and it's a, an occupied Palestinian city. Anyway, they had a full program of ethnic cleansing targeting specific areas uh, in and around Jerusalem. And Sheikh Jarrah is a neighborhood that was slated for not eviction, but from, for kicking Palestinian people out of their homes in which they've been living for decades. And this part of ethnic cleansing, along with other places in and around Jerusalem, like Silwan and Esawi and others, were targeted. So that started the confrontations with Palestinian families saying, we will not leave. We are staying here. This evoked, that's why I said evoked, it resonated with all Palestinians because it reminded them of the uh, 1948, the expulsion, dispossession of the Palestinian people, the uprooting of half the people and uh, kicking them out of their homes and of their lands. So this was a statement of intention. We're not leaving, we're staying. And then they were attacked forcibly, they were violently attacked, they were besieged. But this went on beyond in the first day of Ramadan. The Israeli border troops and, and security forces started targeting Palestinians in the old city, particularly on Damascus Gate, where usually after the prayers, the Palestinians congregate there and they sit and they sing and they break their fast and so on. Uh, they attacked them there and they tried to block off Damascus Gate from the Palestinians. And they put up all these uh, uh, I don't know, fences or whatever, blockades around it. And then they went into the Haram Sharif area compound and the uh, uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, thereby inflaming public opinion because they used tear gas uh, canisters, uh, intensive canisters. They used stun grenades. They lobbed them off inside uh, the mosque at peaceful worshippers. And they followed people uh, around and, uh, the compound and they beat them up and they kicked them out and they arrested many and they wounded many. So that uh, was a, a real call uh, by, by Palestinians that you cannot do this. This is not acceptable. It provoked people beyond endurance. They even attacked the Easter procession mm -hmm. of people mm -hmm. going to the church on Easter. And they wouldn't let them uh, get into the, the church. Uh, and, and that made the, the Holy Sepulchre Church. And that, again, inflamed public opinion that you are targeting our city. 
You are carrying out ethnic cleansing. You are trying to eradicate our right to our own heritage and culture, freedom of worship, uh, our own, I mean, daily life there in, in our neighborhoods. So, And that made many of the uh, resistance groups uh, um, quite uh, inflamed. I mean, they told them. And they warned Israel time and time, hands off Jerusalem. They said, stop targeting Al-Aqsa. Hands off Sheikh Jarrah. Do not carry out ethnic cleansing in Jerusalem. Not only didn't they listen, they escalated. Mm -hmm. And therefore, uh, Hamas and other groups, it's not just Hamas, and I hate to say just Hamas, because that's exactly what Netanyahu wants. Just use Hamas, label Hamas as a terrorist extremist organization, say that it's a battle between Hamas and Israel, not it is an aggression by Israel on a captive Palestinian population. And uh, uh, that started the military aspect of it. Now, Israel had thought all along that they can get away with anything because they're used to it. There is no accountability by the international community. The U.S. is not only in collusion, is in full support and provides Israel with cover. The Europeans are quite feeble and their responses are always uh, verbal. Uh, and on the contrary, people adopted the, the uh, spin uh, and the propaganda of, of uh, Israel as to self-defense and so on, and continued. And so now, with, the, with what's happening, with the fact that there was this ruthless, relentless bombing and shelling of people, beginning, of course, with residential places, and they even uh, bombed the places that, that offered the medical services and health against uh, uh, the pandemic, against COVID-19, because you've seen uh, the... the uh, a pandemic is, is on the rampage in Gaza. They don't have vaccines. They don't have even enough medical facilities, having lived under blockade and, and a siege for 14 years, unable to get things in or out. Israel controls everything. And yet now they started demolishing people's homes. They blew up homes. They blew up the, the four major high-rise buildings. And then they started uh, bombing and shelling individual homes and smaller residential buildings uh, blowing up the lives of people along with destroying and killing whole families. In one, uh, in one place you had 12 family members killed, you had 22. It, it was incredible. And so the fact that Israel always got away with this, uh, in a sense, led it to think that they can continue. In 2014, they killed thousands of Palestinians. They eradicated 91 families from the population registered, and they thought they, they could do the same. But when the, the fighter groups responded with shelling, uh, rocket, uh, I don't say shelling, using these uh, homemade rockets uh, uh, into Israel, the uh, Israel sort of felt that this was not done. You cannot hold me. You cannot give me a taste, a dose of my own medicine. And uh, for for a change, the Palestinians felt that now Israel is beginning to know that they cannot get away with it. That whole armies could not uh, challenge Israel. Whole uh, uh, countries could not challenge Israel. But here you have fighting groups, including Hamas, who are and who are taking the battle, if you want to say so, the, the confrontation inside Israel. 
And that is something that Israel cannot tolerate. So not only did they escalate, but this was a change in the terms of, of engagement, let's put it that way. Uh, uh, let me just remind our listeners, we are talking uh, to Dr. Hanan Ashrawi, and that this is True Talk. Ahmed and I are talking to Dr. Hanan Ashrawi. She's a Palestinian leader, legislator, activist, and scholar. She's the author of the book, the This Side of Peace, in 1995. We're talking about what's going on in Palestine, uh, occupied Palestine. And you can send us your emails or comments to dj at wmnf.org, dj at wmnf.org. Org. We are live on uh, Facebook and Twitter, Twitter through my handle. And already I have uh, Betty who uh, says she is uh, Jewish. Uh, she is a fan and uh, she greatly admires you, Dr. Hanan. She read your book in 1995. Everybody now is mentioning the correct date, 1995. And it inspired her actually to visit uh, Israel slash Palestine for a truth mission. Uh, so you have a lot of fans. And uh, doctor, because, you know, um, you are on Twitter, you are very visible, you do a lot of Zoom and a lot of, you use technology and apps to be reaching out to the rest of the world. And I think this time, maybe uh, uh, like instantly, instantly the second generation of the Jarrah family, they created a hashtag on Twitter and it created a whole movement because I did not see, for instance, in the last Gaza war, and there has been many and longer, I have not seen such engagement on every uh, app and every social media app, but also in the streets of uh, um, most Europe and uh, in America and elsewhere, do you agree with me that uh, this second ger- generation that they thought will not uh, be remembering Palestine is really uh, surprised them? I think they did because the, the whole uh, Zionist plan was to tame the people in, in Gaza and to keep them under siege and control and at the same time to subjugate the Palestinians in the West Bank and of course get away with confiscating their land and building settlements and creating a a cruel apartheid system and to exercise discrimination against the Palestinians of 48, the indigenous people who stayed in Palestine when Israel was created, we call them the 48 Palestinians, and at the same time to keep away the Palestinian refugees and exiles and to deny them the right to return uh, and therefore exclude them from any consideration of what's happening uh, in Palestine. What happened now is actually this mobilized all Palestinians everywhere before it even mobilized their solidarity network and their allies. And, And Palestinians came up came out and stood up and said, we are one people, we are one nation, we suffer the same way, and we will respond together. And what made this possible, as you rightfully said, Samar, is the fact that there is uh, access to social media, that social media played a very major role in not just in formulating the policy, but in reaching out in spreading the message, and most importantly, in making the truth known. Now it is no longer 48, you cannot uh, carry out ethnic cleansing as they did in the dark. Now there are people who are witnesses, there are people who send out not just messages but images and pictures and films of what's happening. Uh, 
and there are people who are daring to speak out and to write. And this broke in many ways the barrier of fear, as we say, because uh, particularly in the States, people were quite afraid of expressing any solidarity with uh, Palestine and with the Palestinian people for many reasons anyway. Many of them are still paying the price should they dare to stand up and speak on behalf of Israel. Uh, But now many now just came out in the thousands and the hundreds of thousands in the States. You don't know how heartwarming, how empowering it is, uh, how touching actually to see people like in in Detroit or people in San Francisco or people in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. or in New York or elsewhere in in all these cities that came out in in Dallas and, and Houston. They came out and and, uh, and demonstrated on behalf of Palestine and showed real courage, real solidarity, and managed to capture the attention, if not the imagination of, of Americans everywhere. But in Europe, again, you had 150,000 in London when the uh, British government is busy, again, reciting the refrain the way Biden did, Israel has the right to self-defense, blah, 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 uh, that uh, rockets were fired on, uh, thousands of rockets were fired on Israel. This was the opening uh, passage for every mainstream uh, uh, television station. Uh, You heard what NBC, for example, said. So it was really... Uh, uh, not just the alternate, it was the real voice coming out. It was the truth. It was the honest truth that is not doctored, that is not manipulated, that is reaching people directly in in, uh, real time. They were (laughs) reaching them live. People were living the explosions. They were seeing people under the rubble rubble and how uh, the the Gaza uh, civil defense and the medical uh, services did not even have the equipment to uh, rescue people from under the rubble, as you know, they could hear voices, but there was no way, or people asking for help, or even with their phones, under the destroyed, the four-story building fell on them, and they couldn't reach them except by hand or using, you know, construction uh, equipment. But still, the fact that people had access to the truth, and people saw the human dimension, the real humanity of the Palestinians, and heard the Palestinian narrative and truth, this created, uh, let's say, I don't want to say perfect storm, but created a momentum for real change. And that was essential. So yes, uh, Samar, you also and many others who Uh, came out and who spoke out and who uh, spread the word and passed the message and this network of people, particularly when you have your own allies and organized uh, uh, justice people like uh, Black Lives Matter, like uh, LGBTQ, like people, uh, uh, all indigenous peoples, uh, even in, in academic and intellectual circles, as well as in grassroots organizations. Uh, this made a difference. Because suddenly you're not isolated. Suddenly you're not being targeted individually. Suddenly you're part of a community that has the courage to speak out and that has access to the truth. This is important and this affects actually policy. Mm-hmm. Because the, the congressmen and women who used to get away with this blind support for Israel, uh, like Elliot Engels, remember? Uh, even though he was supported by APAC and was supported even by GOP people and so on, lost 
to one person who didn't have one tenth or one hundredth of his money, and because he had a constituency that he spoke to that understood the message, uh, uh, Jamal Bowman. So it's it's the the rules of the game are changing. Access to information is changing, and the courage to speak out and to stand in solidarity. This the, this is not just changing. This is empowering, and it is transforming perceptions and attitudes. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5. We're speaking to Hanan Ashrawi. She is a Palestinian leader, legislator, and icon in uh, Palestinian Middle East politics. Um, has been involved in the Middle East, uh, quote-unquote, uh, peace process uh, for many years. Ms. Ashrawi, can you describe to us, this is not the first time that the occupiers, uh, the Israelis, attack Gaza and assault and bombard them. Um, they seem to do it every now and then, even especially in Ramadan. Can you describe for our listeners what is the concept of mowing the lawn and why do they continue to do that with the idea that they want to eliminate Hamas but they actually never do. Uh, but they destroy a lot of infrastructure, and they do this uh, bombing campaigns for some time, then uh, pull out. Now, what they did this time is, is uh, definitely to uh, target multiple infrastructures, whether it was the road system, whether it's the water system, even the electricity and the fuel, but they also targeted the economic infrastructure and the industrial infrastructure. The last day they, they targeted the whole industrial area and all the uh, uh, factories were on fire. They bombed them. So it was its attempt. This is how you mow the lawn, the grass, as they say. You you sort of uh, carpet bomb everything, and you don't leave anything standing. Uh, and as I said, the the Gazans, uh, the Palestinians of Gaza, have nowhere to hide. They don't have shelters. They don't have places to go to. It's the most densely populated place in the world. And where would they go? I mean, they blow up one building. The four or five buildings surrounding it are also affected. And many people died in neighboring buildings because of the uh, destruction or the, the blowing glass or whatever. So uh, this is Gaza has always been to Israel uh, a captive, we called it uh, experimentation in trying the latest weaponry. And they always try their latest arsenal on, on Gaza. They, they used phosphorus bombs once, cluster bombs another, new, the latest thing. And when they sell to the rest of the world, Israel says, tried and tested. And you know where they've been tried and tested. Gaza is surrounded. It's, it's a very small, as you know, enclave on the Mediterranean Sea. It's 360 kilometers square. I think it's 161 miles. Um, and uh, it's extremely densely populated. You have over two uh, million people there. And it has been, uh, as I said, under siege in the sense that Israel placed a very stringent and strangulating blockade uh, around Gaza by sea, by air and by land. And they, they can bomb shell at will whenever they want. And they call this uh, security. Uh, and they also decide how much food can come in to Gaza, uh, how far can the uh, fishermen go out to, to fish. Uh, just every aspect of people's lives. And they, they expected that they should lie down and die quietly. <clears throat> 
And uh, this is the fourth um, uh, aggression, the fourth military attack on Gaza uh, in the last, what, uh, eight years? I, I don't remember how many years, but anyway, every couple of years, uh, Israel attacks Gaza. Uh, and the the horrific one was in 2014, where they killed thousands of people, as I said. And and uh, the and the uh, people of Gaza is, still had not. What is their goal? Uh, What's that word? Mowing the lawn. What is the goal of of mowing the grass or mowing the lawn? The goal, as, as I said, is to be able to put an end to any kind of development or normal life. Hmm? And therefore, subdue a whole people and tell them that your life is dependent on me, your future, whatever it is, and that you have to accept this fate. And when you mow the lawn or the grass, it means that you are, you are engaging in uh, indiscriminate bombing and shelling, and that uh, human life is, is meaningless to you, or any type of life uh, uh, in Gaza. That that Israel has been doing because it felt that it, uh, it can get away, and because in Gaza, they did not want to get rid of Hamas, as they say. They, they want Hamas to stay there, but they want to uh, tame Hamas. They want to keep it busy. They want to keep whatever authority that is in Gaza busy trying to survive, busy trying to rebuild, busy uh, uh, not resisting, but uh, attempting to uh, maintain uh, the minimal level of a normal life. And they thought they could get away with it. And the, the thing is that they didn't. The last time, with all this uh, horrific shelling and bombing and destruction, people came, uh, the, the international community said, we have to rebuild Gaza, let's rebuild Gaza, and so on. And they started doing it. And Gaza has not been rebuilt completely yet, so they were bombing the already bombed areas. Uh, now, again, people are saying, let's have a, a conference to rebuild, to reconstruct. But the, the whole issue is that you need to deal with the real causes. You need to deal with the problem, with the disease, not with the symptoms and not with the after effects. You have to understand that so long as Israel is given full sway to, to act with impunity, to continue to uh, victimize and oppress the Palestinians everywhere, in Gaza and the West Bank and Jerusalem, and even within Israel, that there is not going to be any peace, that this is no solution, that every uh, a few years there will be another of these uh, so-called episodes, and Israel will have to try to suppress the Palestinians again and again and again. And now if you say that we will ignore the Palestinians and uh, will ignore the issue of Palestine and it will go away the way many thought, including Biden, uh, it was very clear that the Palestinian issue is a living issue. It's an issue that affects everybody, uh, not just Palestinians, but their allies and all people of conscience. And as Samar said earlier, you have seen these protests all over the world, in the Arab world, even among countries that, so, that normalized, quote unquote, with Israel, where they had no war, but they made peace and, and they tried to normalize the occupation. People rose up and people protested because this policy of, of targeting captive, innocent people with no right to self-defense 
this is not going to continue because everybody sees warning. And that's and that's the yeah. problem. You you have a saying in the in English that talks about uh, like shooting fish in a barrel, or we say like putting people in a cage and shooting them. Anyway, it's the same. So yeah. Just another question in Washington, we often hear that uh, Israel is the only democracy in the region, and that's why Washington is supporting them, and that they constantly bring up the issue of a two-state solution. Do you still uh, do you believe that the, the two-state solution is still viable at this point, or is that something that's completely dead and um, they need to look for other you know avenues like uh, one country for everyone? Yeah, first let me talk about the only democracy in the region. This is uh, actually quite a myth, and it's it's an outright lie. Democracies do not oppress uh, a whole nation and do not hold a whole people captive and uh, inflict so much pain on them. Democracies do not live outside the law and outside international law and international humanitarian law, like rogue states. Uh, uh, democracies do not uh, have... A, a systematic and so-called legal system of uh, discrimination against at least 20% of its population who are the Palestinian Israelis. Uh, democracies do not negate the rights of refugees and so on. So anyway, this whole issue of Israel is the only democracy is ridiculous because they think that if you have elections, you're a democracy. Uh, you have one of the most corrupt leaders and systems in, in the world, if not the region. You have the, the most brutal occupation uh, of, of a whole nation in uh, Israel. You have uh, a total, total rejection of the minimal levels of justice and humanity and uh, adherence to international law and respect to of signed agreements. So this is not a democracy, but that's one thing. Uh, and they prevent, of course, the Palestinians from exercising our own democracy. The, uh, the two-state solution has never been a Palestinian, a, a favorite choice of the Palestinians. It was the international community that put pressure on the Palestinians to accept Israel and therefore to accept the partition of historical Palestine. Uh, and recognize Israel on 78% of historical Palestine in order to be satisfied with 22% of the remaining land, which is the West Bank and including Jerusalem and Gaza. Uh, and uh, it was after a lot of pressure and promises that the PLO in 1988 accepted the, this principle of partition of Palestine accepted the two-state solution. But I don't know if you remember, you can't remember, but if you read that the uh, it was the Palestinian National Movement that proposed the one-state solution in 1968-69, where the one-state, one, state, one uh, democratic, uh, inclusive, pluralistic, non-sectarian state of Palestine, where all can live in peace and equality together, uh, was proposed as a solution. It was the, after the 67 war and the uh, occupation of the West Bank. And uh, this was turned down by the whole world, including Israel, of course. Because <clears throat> Israel was created primarily by the West, by, by Europe, by uh, um, uh, with the full support of the U.S. As, as we call it a colonial outpost. It is what uh, 
Elan Pape calls as a, uh, the, the Zionist movement, the fundamental Zionist movement that wanted to create a system of displacement and replacement. You displace the whole indigenous people, you displace the Palestinians with their history and their narrative and their rights and their identity and their culture, and you replace them with another people. You bring in Uh, people from outside, particularly those who had suffered as a result of the uh, horrors of the Holocaust, and you bring them to Palestine and you create a new state. Hmm? And you uh, try to displace the people who were there. Now, by, by attempting to eradicate the Palestinians and by creating this colonial outpost, uh, they created a, a situation of uh, ongoing injustice and instability and violence and conflict, especially when you bring religion into it, especially when people start brandishing the Bible and saying this is how it should be because 2,000 years ago there's a Bible that said this or that or there were uh, tr uh, tribes in Palestine and, and so on. Uh, anyway, that situation uh, continued and the West appointed itself as guardians and protectors of this situation of extreme injustice huh? of uh, Israel. Regardless of what Israel does, they granted it full cover to act with full impunity. And they exempted it from the requirements of international law and human rights and international humanitarian law. So historically, this is uh, what happened. And every time something uh, happens, they try to blame the Palestinians, put pressure on the Palestinians, threaten and blackmail the Palestinians, and then reward Israel and grant it even more rewards and preferential treatment. And that is uh, an ongoing uh, situation now. So when we talk about the Nakba or the catastrophe or what befell the Palestinians, it is not a one-time incident. It's a process. It's a continuum. It is ongoing. Uh, and Israel has been emboldened to uh, pursue its policies thinking that uh, they do have this cover and that they do have the, the blessings and the support, the, the blind support of many countries. This came to a head with, with, the, with the Trump uh, regime in the U.S. Uh, but I don't know where we're going. I'm sure I'm giving you a whole history lesson, which is what you should. <laughs> but. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM. Ahmed and I are talking with Dr. Hanan Ashrawi, who is now in uh, Ramallah, uh, occupied West Bank. She is a Palestinian leader, legislator, activist, and scholar. She's also the author of This Side of Peace, uh, which I and uh, lots of our listeners, obviously, uh, Dr. Hanan have uh, read it in 1995. And uh, to our uh, listeners, you can uh, send us the email to dj at wmnf.org. I have Pat who says she is a Christian and she went to the Holy Land twice, once uh, during Christmas, once during Easter. And uh, she saw and witnessed the racist effects of uh, on Palestinian Christians and Muslims alike. Like uh, uh, People assume, Dr. Hanan, and you are Christian yourself, that this is an, uh, uh, like a Jewish Muslim uh, issue, which is totally not because here is Pat saying as a Christian and she felt the discrimination. And she's asking, which is a good question, why the Palestinians are uh, not talking about Resolution 194 uh, and which maintained that Jerusalem would be an international city under uh, the nation's supervision. She's as a Christian, she considers Jerusalem is also her city. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
Well, resolution 181 actually uh, is the partition of Palestine, which gave Israel, or the, the new state to be created, Israel, 55% of the land of historical Palestine, uh, and um, gave the Palestinians uh, uh, 54% and gave the Palestinians 44%. And 1%, which is Jerusalem and its environment, uh, was described as corpus separatum, which included East and West Jerusalem uh, under uh, international uh, protection or supervision. Uh, and Resolution 194 is a res resolution that granted the Palestinian refugees the right to return to their lands and to their homes from which they were expelled in 1948. Uh, and Israel was actually admitted to the uh, UN conditionally, on condition that it allowed the Palestinian refugees to return to their homes at the earliest possible time. And Israel refused. And so I, I still think that Israel's admission to the UN should not be seen as legal since they did not fulfill the terms or the requirements of its admission. But that's uh, another issue. No Palestinian has dropped 194. The Palestinian refugees' right of return is an inalienable right. It is enshrined in UN resolutions and international law. The first right of any refugee anywhere in the world is the right to return. And then if you want to discuss whether they want compensation and so on, but repatriation is the most important thing. Return to their own homes and lands. And uh, as we said, Palestinian people still carry their own keys. That's why the picture, the image of a key has become a symbol of the Palestinian right of return. Because when they left it, or when they were expelled, or when they were kicked out, they, they took their keys to their homes with them. And uh, it remained uh, as such as a symbol of the yearning to return and of their commitment to their lands and to their property and to their homes. Uh, it's true. Now, in Palestine, historically, we've always been a pluralistic uh, country. We've always had uh, Muslims, Christians, and Jews. Historically, Palestine was between 60-70% Muslim, about 20-30% uh, 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 Christian, and uh, less than 10% Jewish. But then after the Holocaust, of course, with the Jewish refugees coming to uh, Palestine, seeking protection and refuge, and of course being aided by the British, the uh, number of the population increased, of, of the, the Jewish population, but it was always a, a minority, the smallest minority. Um, Palestine is uh, a place where cultures meet, where all three religions are sacred and important. It is the most sacred place for Christians, by the way. And I, I still don't think that, uh, uh, you know, being of a certain faith or, or holding a place to be uh, sacred to you means that you have the right to impose uh, sovereignty on it. Uh, this, this religious absolutist arguments to me do not work. I think there are people there who have the right to self-determination, who have the right to sovereignty, and therefore they should exercise this right regardless of uh, the religious uh, value of the place. Now, it's always been a tolerant place, an inclusive place. It's only when uh, there was the Zionist movement emerged that tried to uh, create an exclusivist and exclusionary system of 
This is a land for the Jews only and to exclude the Palestinians, whether they're Christian or Muslim or atheist for that matter. This uh, is where the, the real conflict began with Zionism as an exclusivist religion and then ending up with this uh, nation state law where they said that only Jews have the right to self-determination in Palestine, or they called it Eretz Israel. This is where you have real discriminatory, real discrimination and, and exclusivity. But uh, to us, no, it, it should be a place open and tolerant and respectful of people's right to worship and, and to uh, practice their religion freely, which we don't have because Jerusalem is closed off to Palestinians who do not have Jerusalem ideas. Uh, but to, to just finish your question, no, the, the right of return is a crucial right and nobody has the right to abandon it or to treat Palestinian refugees differently from any other refugees uh, in the world. Um, so, sorry to cut you off, Ms. Um, Ashrawi. We're just running out of time and we have a couple other questions. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5. With Ahmed and Summer, we're speaking uh, live to Hanan Ashrawi from the West Bank in Palestine about uh, the latest crisis and the assault on Palestinians uh, by Israel. Um, uh, speaking of discrimination, through this recent uh, assault, we saw some very disturbing images coming out of uh, right-wing Israelis. These are right-wing uh, Jews. They don't represent, obviously, all of Judaism, but these it's a growing segment within Israel. Um, one, mobbing a car, which they believe the driver was Palestinian, and it was just like barbaric. They attacked the car, pulled him out, beat him almost to death. And their reaction afterwards, all happening on live television, without any regret, without any shame, just full of hatred. The other image that we saw is there was some trees burning on the holy sanctuary for Muslims, the Temple Mount, and there were, um, you know, um, these right-wing Israelis um, from the right-wing uh, Jewish segment of the population jumping up and down, dancing and celebrating and chanting a certain genocidal song that they were chanting. Um, we often see and hear in the West, especially from politicians, that somehow the Palestinians are the ones that are taught to hate Jews and Judaism, and the uh, Israelis are surrounded by all these Arabs that hate them. But these images tell a different story. Has it always been like this? Is it just now that we're seeing these images because of social media? Or is the Israeli population, are they becoming more and more right-wing and extreme in their xenophobia and Islamophobia and Arabophobia against the Palestinian population? Yes, there has been a, a gradual shift to the right and to the more extreme right and to the more racist and violent right in Israel. Um, so long as uh, Netanyahu and his uh, uh, coalition were in power. But it's, it's been taking place even longer. You see, when you have so much power and when you raise your children to think that there are uh, other people who are inferior to you, or that they have no rights, or when you dehumanize and even demonize uh, the people that you're oppressing, when you claim to yourself preferential treatment and exceptionalism as somebody who has more value, whose lives have more value, uh, gradually with the extreme religious institution, 
becoming more and more Zionists because many of them were non-Zionists because they didn't want a Jewish state or an Israeli state. But the more extreme Zionist uh, uh, religious elements, along with elements like uh, the Kahanists, like Lahava and others, who believe that it is perfectly legitimate to kill a Palestinian as they go around saying death to the Arabs uh, freely. And uh, because of the increasing also uh, the settler population, the colonizers who come to the West Bank and who set up uh, settlements with the full support of the uh, Israeli government and uh, with full Israeli services and uh, protected and supported by the Israeli army. They feel that they can, uh, again, inflict violence on anybody and act with, with full uh, uh, impunity and, and get away with it. So that has increased this right-wing shift within the body politic of Israel. If you look at public opinion polls, you will see that increasingly the, the younger generations, one after the other, is more racist than the one before it. And they feel that the Palestinians, when <clears throat> public opinion polls, they say that Palestinians are not equal human beings, they don't deserve equal treatment and so on. And they say it openly. And people like uh, organizations like Lahava were used by Netanyahu and he really stoked the flames of racism and extremism and violence in order to win and in order to fight the, let's say, moderates, if there are any, or middle of the road liberals or whatever, there aren't many left in Israel. But in order to uh, uh, oppose or fight his opposition and win elections. And that's why he even got them in into the Knesset, into the Israeli parliament, the, the uh, descendants of the... Uh, uh, of Kahana and the Kah party that is uh, that was described and uh, by law as being a, uh, a terrorist organization, and even the U.S. called it a terrorist organization, but now it's in the Knesset. Uh, so th there you go, you have that, and it's increasing. When you have so much power, when you have so much license to do what you want, when you can really the, the value, the rights and lives of others. And when you have so much power to do whatever you want, th this distorts your own internal dynamic. This distorts your own legal and moral system, which is what happened in Israel. And there are those who are really uh, consciously trying to oppose this kind of distortion. And they are not that uh, successful anyway, because the system, the whole system now is skewed, is geared towards... Uh, uh, strengthening these people and using them as instruments of their own power. Uh, and of course, they, they were in, in agreement with the uh, right-wing evangelicals in the States and with the fundamentalist uh, Jewish movement and, and so on. So, and with, of course, the fascist systems around the world, whether it's in, in uh, Hungary or, or in Brazil or whatever. Actually, uh, uh, Dr. Hanan, I'm sorry, I'm rushing uh, your answers because we have like five minutes and I have so many people sending emails asking so many questions and I know uh, it's going to take uh, a lot of time to answer them. But um, uh, I just want to remind uh, our listeners, they can send the question to DJ at WMNF and they're listening to True Talk. We're talking to Dr. Hanan Ashrawi, most uh, prominent uh, Palestinian. She lives in the occupied uh, West Bank. Uh, Dr. Ashrawi, that we are trans 
transmitting live on all the social media and uh, a lot of young people uh, across uh, the globe, but especially Palestinians and uh, Arab uh, Arabs who support uh, the uh, you know the Palestinian cause. What is the um, what is the next step for them? They have been extremely active uh, on social media, but I don't think uh, that's enough. Uh, we are facing um, a propaganda battle, myth uh, busting battle. Can you please tell them in like a nutshell what is it? What's the way the forward now? Yeah, if I can, I mean, there's a lot that can be done, but of course, uh, uh, speaking truth to power, of course, bearing witness, of course, uh, making the truth known, making the facts known and being active on social media. These are extremely important. I wouldn't at all stop this, but you have to keep informed. You have to know what's happening all the time. You have to expose the the truth and, and, and you have to debunk the myths and the lies. This is very, very important. But networking with our own friends and allies, this is very important because Palestine has become part of the conversation. We are part of the global rights conversation, the conversation of humanity and of justice. So, uh, uh, naturalize and normalize the issue of Palestine within the, its proper context. In, in the West. And of course, you have to use this to challenge your representatives, to challenge the, the, the decisions that they take uh, pertaining to the, the Palestinians, thinking they have license to do that when their own constituency does not hold them accountable or question them on that. And now I'm seeing there is a greater movement on that. Organization is absolutely crucial. And uh, this, this global linkage also has uh, more collective empowerment. And the, the issue of proposing uh, legislation, this issue of uh, uh, working as also lobbying uh, uh, everywhere and writing on social media and even mainstream media is also important and protecting people who feel vulnerable or who are being punished for speaking the truth. It's significant now that this young journalist at AP who has been uh, kicked out of her job because she was a member of uh, Students for Justice in Palestine when she was in, in university. This is un uh, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, so this is important. There is protection, there is uh, safety in numbers, but there is also a qualitative shift in this quantitative uh, massive movement that is challenging the lies and debunking the myths and bringing out the truth. A lot can be done. We, we have to link up together and we have to uh, maintain this energy. And now there's a younger generation in Palestine. They're amazing. They're incredible. They are well linked. I mean, they, they are on, on digital media. They, they, and, and you have their counterparts in the rest of the world. This is what can be done because we need to take the Palestinian question into the consciousness and the conscience of the world in a way that is honest and persuasive. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Hanan Ashrawi, for uh, being on Through Talk. WMNF Tampa.